Today's edition of Motorcycle Madhouse. Today we are going to continue our coverage on what happened with a group called The Beast out in Texas. We will not call them a motorcycle club because according to them, they proudly consider themselves a motorcycle gang. They even display an MG cube instead of an MC patch. And later on, we have Tombstone's piece we were unable to show on Monday's show because of technical difficulties. So if you're new to the Madhouse, click the like button and subscribe button and share us with all of your friends. We would appreciate the support. If you like, you can help keep the Madhouse on the air. You can contribute either through YouTube Super Chat or PayPal, or in the show notes over on Anchor. The link is in the description box. Before we get into the show, I have a correction to make. On the information concerning the battery replacement on a 2019 Softail. Not only did I see the video Matt Laidlaw put out, but I also got to talk to some other dealerships as well okay when we screw up we screw up we put it out there that we screwed up that's us anyway the information presented uh was actually presented to uh scooters cramp uh, scotty was incorrect by the mechanic you do not have to take off the real wheel it is important to correct the information that was wrong in this video and thanks to matt laidlaw for going ahead throwing a video together about it even though I like the tech part of it, you know, they were beating up on uh, Scooter Tramp Scotty, which, hey, wasn't cool. He was just showing uh, what the mechanic was telling him. But that is what it is. You know what I mean? We know Scooter Tramp Scotty. He's the man. He rides his ass off. He's been on his bike for decades. And he is a serious Scooter Tramp. Hey, Motorcycle Madhouse listeners, want to share your opinions? Give me feedback or tell me what you're thinking. Send me a voice message. Voice messages are an easy way for you to send me audio that might end up in future episodes of Motorcycle Madhouse. They're the latest feature from Anchor, the platform I use to make this show. Here are some of the things I love to hear from you. Questions you might have for me. What you thought of the latest episode. What you think a subject you would like to hear in the future would be. Do your best impressions of me. I'll see all your messages and I might add them into a future episode. Anchor makes this super easy. You can send me a voice message right now from wherever you're listening. Just tap the link in my show notes. I can't wait to hear from ya! Motorcycle Madhouse every Monday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time and Saturdays 11 a.m. Central Standard Time on YouTube and all major streaming platforms. In your face, 
all over the place. We're online 24-7-24-7. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. For years, America witnessed a Gestapo action against American citizens. Four years ago, over 177 arrested, nine dead, four confirmed by police, and a nightmare that didn't end for many until earlier this year when all the charges for the remaining defendants were dropped. Daniel Raymond Diesel Boyette, 44, Kazakh. Wayne Lee Sidekick Campbell, 43, Kazakh. Richard Matthew Chain Jordan, 31, Kazakh. Richard Vincent Bear Kirshner Jr., 47, Kazakh. Jacob Lee Ryan, 39, Kazakh. Jesus Delegado Rodriguez, 65, unaffiliated. Charles Wayne Dog Russell, 46, Kazakh. Manuel Isaac Rodriguez, 40, Bandito. Matthew Mark Smith, 27, Scimitar. Those of you who have been with Motorcycle Madhouse since the beginning, you will know that we have covered what has happened at Twin Peaks every time something new came out about the case. Our coverage doesn't even compare to that of Texas Biker Radio, Waco Tribune, and all the others. If you all can go over to Texas Biker Radio and subscribe to their YouTube channel and let's help them get 1,000 subs, I'd appreciate it, and I know they will. With the four-year anniversary of Twin Peaks, and all the people who were involved, and all they had to endure in that incident, I believe this is why the following discussion has such importance. So much in regards to motorcycle profiling has been happening down in Texas. As all of you know, we talk about it all the time. It's the epicenter down there. So. When an incident where two men were beaten and colors taken happens and it gets caught on security cam, it's something that pisses on somebody's Wheaties, man. It really does. We here at Motorcycle Madhouse were contacted by the club in question. They forwarded us a bunch of text messages and pics. As you know, we always strive to get both sides of the story. This is something we are best known for. But text messages and pics without the backstory will do nothing in regards to us understanding the position of the club or why a mob attacked those two men. Again, if the club wants to get their side of the story out, then I would encourage a phone call to explain the material. Other than that, we will continue on what we have and know from the various sources we are getting our information from. Again, without the backstory, how will we know what's going on from your side? 
<sighs> Before I get into this material today, I recommend you reading a piece that we put out. It was titled, You Want to Know the Reason for Motorcycle Club Protocol. It's also titled, Just Take a Look at the See You Next Tuesdays. This is the very reason why it exists. Before going in this article, I will give you reasons for the second part follow-up article on the situation in Texas. Since the previous article and show that was done on Motorcycle Madhouse on Monday, I believe it was 5.13, oh man, that was a video, wasn't it? I received a ton of emails on this subject, especially from people who are on the ground there in Houston and other places where the Beast MC have chapters as well as their ally clubs. One of the very first things I personally was surprised about was learning some of these clubs are now replacing the MC with the MG. Which of course means what, people? You all know I don't have to explain it to you. But it's funny, isn't it? All these years, motorcycle clubs have fought against that term, and here there is some cl clubs proudly displaying it now. So from my understanding, some of these club members are ex-dominant members. Put out bad from the dominant because they didn't want the drug dealing, the prostitution, and the illegal crap going on. Especially since one of the said dominants were under federal heat after Waco. I guess some of the members didn't like that decision and thus went off on their own and started a club up. Which, hey, more power to you. I'm not against one making money and the way a man chooses to make their money is on them. Do your own thing. Everyone who followed me on Insane Throttle or Motorcycle Madhouse knows my kind of history. I believe in street crews as well as survival of the fittest. You need to do what you got to do when it comes to making your money and surviving on the streets. Here's what I don't agree with, though. Maybe shit is run a lot different down in Houston or San Antonio. But why in the hell would you want to bring down heat on yourself? Maybe it's different here in Chicago where we tried to stay in the shadows so attention wasn't drawn to ourselves. Maybe this is the reason I'm freaking confused about why in the hell it took a mob to beat on two guys. Again, maybe I'm confused that if you wanted to play gangster, you didn't have anyone, you know, check for the damn security cameras. For one, not only... Ugh, not only did you appear on the 5 o'clock news, but now most of you have been identified. Probably faced an armed robbery, assault with a deadly weapon, 
assault and battery. And those are just the minor charges. If I would have to take an educated guess, each one in that video is probably facing a minimum of 10 years. Unless, of course, people start rolling over on each other. Which, which, I'll bet you probably a G-note they will. So again, that's how you do business in Texas? Damn, I mean never to invest in any venture with you guys. But the idiocy of going after clubs that don't want to roll with you is even more mind-blowing. How in the hell do you go after Christian clubs? I actually feel sorry for you all because they got the big man on their side. Better hope you don't get stuck, you know, get struck down by a bolt of lightning while you're riding or something. Because karma is a bitch and she always gets her revenge. But wait, it's not only Christian clubs you're harassing from what we hear. You go after veterans clubs. What in the God name's sake is that? Really? Do you really love having the feds buried all the way up your asses? If you have a problem with the dominant or your old club, then go take the fight to them. Don't go after Christian clubs or, so, or have a mob jump two people and get caught on security cameras. Because you were a bunch of dumb shits and didn't scout the area. At least had the appearance of knowing what the hell you're doing. I was told the incident in the video was because, quote, one of the members in this particular club crossed into the wrong part of the prison yard. Really? Come on, really guys? You're trying to use prison slang to intimidate people? Oh wait, you're recruiting gangbangers now to boost your membership roles. Exactly like Doc Cavazos pulled. Looks like you're actually taking a page out of his playbook. Thing is, that didn't work out too well for Doc, now did it? Guys started turning, deals were cut, and why? Because brotherhood didn't exist whatsoever. Never does when you put money over the club. Crap, even Doc himself turned into a rat when the feds came knocking at the door. There went him making money, didn't it? <laughs> but getting back to what conceivably could be your reasoning for putting on that MG patch. Here's what I'm guessing. You're setting up a structure of the organization like this. You have those that ride motorcycles and thus the MG part of the organization. The next part of the organization is the prison chapters or those behind bars. And then finally, your recruitment base is the bangers coming up on the streets. And I have to admit, it's a hell of a setup. Notably, if you're looking for a more expansive reach between a few diverse worlds. 
not only will you have access to the MC scene, but you will have access to the prison context and then, of course, the street gangs. Pretty good setup. Can you see exactly where I'm going with this? And I know why I am going this way. Because this is how the Predadoras was set up in the 90s. I was Predadoras from 93 to 98, right before the MC part of the organization went away and instead went to a full-blown street crew and uh, prison setup. I'm going to tell you something. The setup won't work. I know it from experience. The crew and the prison aspect will override the MC part of it. What I find fascinating, nevertheless, is the decision again for that MT or MG patch. Why in the hell would you invite Rico to your front door? You do know that's where it's all going to end up, don't you? Rico will be calling. It inevitably does. Therefore, why in the hell openly advertise you want to be considered a gang? You've already met one of the predicates of Rico. Another thing I'm confused about is attacking in force like in that video. When it all comes down, and it will, it will, your organization is going to lose all those numbers. Especially when they drop the hammer. Either to prison or by members flipping on each other. Excuse my ignorance here, but what the hell? Who the hell is your Javi? Might want to rethink that if this is the orders being handed down. Those kind of decisions are going to decimate your ranks. Just saying. Just saying. You know, a real uh, a real leader, a real leader would have done, you know, this. He would be making big moves to make friendly with all the local clubs. Sit down with them at the table and let them know the beef between your club and the dominant doesn't concern them. All your organization wants is peace. If there's no peace, then that will bring the Leo Cox down full force on everyone. If they don't want to accept that offer, then you make it known to stay out of the beef. Stay out of it. This even includes support clubs. Leave them out of it. You know, let's be serious. 99.9% .9 of those guys in support clubs just want to ride and party. Those people have no idea the game or want to be in the game. Now, if an incident goes down and they participate, then they are fair game. But at least you gave them an option. I know. Everyone is doing the hill road right now. <laughs> but hey, I've always been honest with my readership and my followership and listeners on Motorcycle Madhouse. Again, I believe in the survival of the fittest. If you can back your patch, then more power to you. What I don't believe in is the moves that were made here. There's always a better and smarter way of getting things done without bringing the heat on everyone or making a fool out of yourself on national television. 
I also don't believe involving other organizations which have nothing to do with what is going on. Not only is it a stupid move, but it is also a freaking idiotic move. It will help in no way achieving your goals you're trying to achieve. This is especially true after going, you're going after a Christian motorcycle club and veterans clubs. Ask yourself something, and this goes out to those in the video or the clubs going around harassing people for no valid reason at all. What did you achieve by getting on the 5 o'clock news? Not only did that freaking act get seen by a huge number of civilians, you also caught the attention of ITBN. This site alone is the top 5% of websites in the United States. This means it has a huge number of page views and visitors every day who are bikers. Now, not only do you have regular everyday citizens calling you animals and criminals, but you have the rest of the motorcycle community doing it. The motorcycle community have seen what you're about. One thing I can give you advice on, you don't want your business out in the media because it will bring you down every time. The, the backlash and police scrutiny is going to be something no organization can withstand. No, uh-uh. Don't know if you realize this or not. Trump's attorney general doesn't screw around. Neither them them pricks down in Texas, and we all know how bad they are down in Texas. Look at the, oh my God, Ugh. God's sake, wearing an MC patch? I just have to bring the conversation back full cir circle, because it's a ludicrous move. To those who are the X1 percenters, I know for a fact every single one of you Every single one of you didn't want to be referred as a gang member while active with the dominant. You all knew being referred to as a motorcycle gang carries consequences with general citizens. You all know those citizens sit on juries and elect people who make the laws. My question then is, what gives? Why the change of heart? Is it for some kind of shock value? Because if it is, then go out and throw on a couple swazis or whatever. You know, some bolts, something to scare people like the old days. But bottom line, great job on turning every club against you in the Houston and San Antonio area. If you were looking for shock value, you sure and the hell achieved that goal. Problem with your newfound fame? The heat you brought down from the media is going to have all the Leos all over your asses. I'm sure all you know this is going to start making a dent in profits. All those fees are going to start piling up. Lawyers, commissary funds, all that good stuff is going to come into play. You might want to rethink your playbook. I'm just saying. Just saying. 
So why is Insane Throttle Motorcycle Madhouse taking such a hard stance on this story? And I'm going to tell you why. El Paso, Texas. El Paso police made 35 arrests and issued 100 and what is it, 18 citations during a Cinco de Mayo crackdown on motorcycle clubs. Police released the figures this past Tuesday in response to an ABC7 request for information. Several ABC7 staffers and viewers noticed police pulling over groups of motorcyclists during the Cinco de Mayo holiday weekend. The three-day operation from May 2nd to May 5th was conducted in response to a large number of outlaw motorcycle gang members, as they put it, anticipated to be visiting the city that weekend. Of course, that according to what police said. Police did not specify the extent of charges filed, nor did they identify those arrested. The El Paso Police Department's gang, TAC, and SWAT units participated in a, the opera, uh, operation along with partner local, state, and federal agencies from the Texas Anti-Gang Center. This is exactly why we've been spreading this story so much. Texas, again, is the epicenter of motorcycle club profiling, and for Christ's sakes, the motorcycle community don't need anything like was seen on that video. One thing always bugs the crap out of me is when people intentionally screw up or try showing their asses. These type of people do not think about the scene as a whole. They don't. Only about themselves and what they can gain. It's actually quite despicable. Especially when everyone knows the heat is so bad. So bad right now in Texas. This week marks the fourth year anniversary of Waco Twin Peaks, an incident that should have changed the whole motorcycle club scene. The biker community seen firsthand the lengths a government would take not only to push an agenda, but to grab even more power from its citizens. You can't be that ignorant to see that. You guys seen what happened in Waco. It was just earlier this year that everything finally got released. And now, of course, they're going to go and hopefully, you know, sue them people out to the dark ages for peak's sakes. But damn, man. <laughs> damn. You know, the way that the whole Twin Peaks incident played out was nothing less than a Gestapo action right here on American soil. The biker community has a universal cause it should be fighting for right now. Motorcycle profiling and a government out of control. Stop giving these people ammunition 
to use against the scene as a whole. Bikers are supposed to be intelligent. Well, from what I've seen in that video, I have to question that belief. If those in the video were smart, why the hell did they get caught on camera for the world to see? Why do clubs continue to let the beefs between each other spill into the streets for the whole world to see? Look, if some clubs want to be a gangster, then at least play the part, right? Don't have a mob jumping, guys. On a security tape? If you had a problem with the guy, then you should have pulled a damn car up and pushed his ass in the car and took it down the road. Somewhere no one would have seen what the hell you were doing. At least the public would not have seen what played out on national TV and give the cops more reason to screw with everyone. My God. Unreal. Come on, people. Use your heads. Use your brains. My God. Anyway, we have uh, Tombstone coming up after the uh, mid-row commercial break. And it is going to be a good one, let me tell you, man. He really gets uh, up in there and gives a lot of people a lot of stuff to think about. But uh, anyway, I'll see you back after uh, Tombstone. Hi, this is James Hollywood Machapari, and if you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts, and you'll probably like music, too. On Spotify, you can listen to all that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the Motorcycle Madhouse, the one you're listening to right now. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcast so you never miss an episode. Download episodes to listen offline whenever you want and wherever you are. Easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social media platforms like Instagram. And just search for Motorcycle Madhouse on the Spotify app. Or browse podcast in the Your Library tab and follow me so you'll never miss an episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Spotify is the world's leading music streaming platform. And now it can be your go-to podcast too. Motorcycle Madhouse on Spotify and iTunes Radio. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me. Uh, today's show is going to be about a new vision. Uh, maybe something that someone has discussed with you in the past or has uh, mentioned on the radio, but uh, I think I have more backing behind it, more information and data that will make it something a little bit more feasible. But before we get into that, um, I do want to make the following statement, um, that this is my opinion and my opinion only, and it may not uh, reflect the ideas of Motorcycle Madhouse 
or Hollywood. This may not be a popular opinion, but ultimately it's mine and I take the responsibility for my opinions. So let's get started. Uh, 1% clubs have been getting called out in the media for quite some time. Um, it's been getting worse over the past few years. My opinion is that not everyone in a 1% club is a criminal. However, they're all treated the same. Additionally, the 99% club world is getting dragged into this whole law-abiding biker concept, which I'm really not a big fan of either. Let's understand that uh, I do not go out of my way to break the law, but I also do not believe that every law is just or written correctly, and we'll take the New York Safe Act into that fact. Um, this law is put into place to do nothing more than infringe the rights of New Yorkers. But this particular politician that pushed this law, if he uh, gets any further into the political arena more than he is already, what's going to end up happening is it's going to affect all Americans, especially if he runs for president. And some of the less um, intelligent people that are out there don't see him for what he really is. So this is not a law that I believe is just or correct, but it's my cross to bear and not the rest of Americans, even though we're getting hit with Second Amendment rights on a pretty regular basis. So does this make me an outlaw? Well, some would venture to say, yes, I am. What normal society believes when they see us wearing our vests with our colors is that we're all criminals, drug dealers, gun runners, and ultimately we run prostitution rings. Not the men and women that support charities, raise millions of dollars a year for those less fortunate, or work for a living and support families. I am neither a criminal nor am I a cop. I am a man that is part of a lifestyle that many do not understand. I am part of something bigger than me. I've decided that there should no longer be a view upon me as a 99 percenter, that I am any more or less than exactly that. I know lots of people that wear the diamond and they're just as good a person as I am. The media and those that wish to keep that stereotype upon us have made a grave mistake. I have started a new concept and this concept is called the 100%. I treat every person in our society the same way. It's not easy to do, but it needs to be done. We as bikers, MCs, RCs, people that love to ride, we need to stop and look at what's going on around us. Politicians are keeping the race war alive. Dems are keeping the attack on our president, though he has already been cleared. Our country is ultimately going to shit around us. Bikers, MCs were started by those that made the sacrifice for this country. We are not the evil ones that are destroying this country. It is those that are in control of this country that are tearing it apart. They are trying to dismantle us a piece at a time because we are the strong, the bikers of this country, and that we have endured one brutal attack after another on our lifestyle that is still standing strong. They cannot destroy us because united we are strong. The truth is I don't like every club that's out there, and I certainly do not believe that certain types of people belong in this society, but we have to pick our battles. If they cannot stand the heat and they cannot stand with the 100%, we will see that and they will fall away on their own. The 100 needs to stand together and start raising hell. When they call us a gang, we are clubs. Maybe we didn't see eye to eye. Maybe we forgot what this was really all supposed to be about. But now is the time we need to stand together as one unit, one group, one idea, and show them what 100% of bikers can do to fix the stereotype and put them all on notice. 
We are not the weak. We will not be categorized as something we are not. And now I lay the challenge out. Prove I'm in a gang. Prove that I am in, involved in organized crime. If you can't and you continue to call us these terms, then I will use the very system that you try to use against us to force the media and law enforcement to refer to us as expected club member. Thanks for joining me. We have a decision in the Mongols case. We do. The jury in the case sided with prosecutors fighting the trademark image was tied closely to the racketeering conspiracy the club carried out that it should be forfeited to the government. But Carter intervened, refusing to approve the forfeiture in a March order. The judge said denying Mongol members the ability to display the logo would overstep the right to free expression embedded in the First Amendment. Again, this came down earlier yesterday, as well as the Eighth Amendment's ban on excessive penalties. Man, you want to talk about excessive penalties? Oh my God, is what they got leveled at them? It's excessive. Uh, this uh, thing goes on saying the lead up to Friday sentencing hearing, prosecutors tried again, suggesting a compromise of source in a written filing. They asked Carter to order the Mongols to forfeit its trademarks so it would no longer be able to prevent others. From using the image. What? That's a compromise? Anyway, such an order, the prosecutors argued, would not prevent Mongol members from displaying the image as well and so would not cross any constitutional lines. You see how they tried to backdoor? I told you that was going to happen. Everybody out there who knows this case knows that that's what they were trying to do. And thankfully, Carter was not dis uh, persuaded and denied the request. Tom Mazurk, the spokesman for the U.S. Attorney's Office, declined to comment on whether the government planned to appeal. Well, we all know that's probably what's going to freaking happen. They're going to try to appeal to the Ninth Circuit. What they were trying to do is backdoor Again, with that freaking compromise saying anybody can use the logo. Well, how the hell is a trademark then? How do you keep within trademark law? That made no sense whatsoever. But they were fined a half a million dollars. My question is, who has to pay it? Does every Mongol member have to pay, you know, is obligated to pay that fine? See, this is where it's getting tricky and stuff, where a whole organization was found guilty on RICO by, when did this happen, like 10 freaking years ago? This is from Doc Cabellos' times, and this is one of the things that really surprises me about the earlier story that we were talking about with these beasts. Is this something that you guys really want to, you know, look forward to? The government is hauls balls after the Mongols. And now uh, the stuff that you're doing is going to put you on their radar. You know, you're probably already on the Texas gang uh, uh, enforcement uh, radar. 
It's just a matter of time before something really stupid happens and you're on the feds. And then you're, you know, do you have a half a million dollars, by the way? I think uh, the Mongols so far have put out $1.2 million in money for attorney fees. They're an international club. And I know each member's having to beef up some money for these court costs. So this is something you might want to think about while you're out doing all this stuff. And you might want to rethink that MG thing. Uh, anyway, uh, i got some fun stuff for you before we get into the next segment. Look at this. Hollywood is going to get his pilot license. Well, you know, I'm joking around. That's going to be one of his, uh, that's going to be one of my uh, videos that I'm going to put out. I'm going to learn how to fly this and we're going to do some really cool stuff with that. Uh, especially with Hot Rods and Harleys, we're going to be getting overviews of the car shows and motorcycle shows, the rallies and stuff. We'll get some good overviews. Uh, when I go out and do some motovlogs, we'll be able to get some good area views of where I'm from. So that's just some of the stuff that your donations are helping uh, get. We're getting a whole bunch of new studio stuff, and it's really cool that uh, we got the audience participation with helping out with the show January 1st, 2020, we are working hard behind the scenes on a, uh, American Rebel TV. It's going to be a channel on Roku. And what it's going to be about is everything biker. We're going to have a bunch of different creators, a different uh, type of shows. If you want to get involved with the channel, here's what you got to do. You got to contact us one uh, for one. Give us the idea of what you got for a show. There has to be a minimum in a season of 22 episodes ready to go if you want to get on the channel. You know, kind of like uh, Netflix. So give us your ideal for the channel. What We are not charging the creators nothing to get on the channel or putting their stuff on. We're covering the cost of getting that all on. You guys get your own sponsors, all that good stuff. But we're going to make a real biker channel. One, adult-related, you know, you're going to see some titties, man. And I'm not talking ones with pasties on them. We're talking some real stuff. So we're looking forward to that. And that is what, uh, you know, a lot of our stuff is going to. So the contributions are much appreciated. We're building this together. And the biggest thing is we want to keep it free. Uh, you know, free on YouTube and all that type of stuff. Roco, uh, you know, I think it might be a nominal charge of like four ninety nine a month because we got to pay all. It's it's in the thousands to keep a channel up. Just let me tell you that uh, programmers and all that stuff. So that helps us out those small prescription fees over on that channel starting in January. But here and all across the radio platform, we're always keeping it free. But uh, the need for the equipment to get stuff ready is out there. But we're all participating, and I'm calling this everybody's channel. But this freaking drone, man, I'm really learning it. You know, I've been reading up, seeing how to uh, control the sucker. It's uh, about a hand size, and I'll be able to put it in the saddlebags and just say, hey, okay, go up there and do your thing. Uh, but it's going to take a lot of practicing because I never played with one before. But uh, also, Monday show, we just got something forwarded to us uh, through an attorney firm 
and it has to deal with let me look at some of this stuff here has to deal with fraudulent plea agreements uh the doj's long-running willful and wanted misconduct brings chaos violence and murder to numerous non-cooperating criminal defendants so we're going to be talking about that on monday's show but uh, right now, we're going to be uh, taking a quick uh, station identification uh, break. After we come back, we're going to be talking about the Second Amendment. Yes, we know those crazy leftist communists, they are always after our guns. But the article I'm going to read is from the ex-loony, I'm talking loony leftist, Stephen Breyer. He just wrote a piece and put it out there on why Heller was wrong in that decision and why the Constitution don't guarantee you a right to bear arms. Yeah, you're going to love this one. Motorcycle Madhouse on Spotify and iTunes Radio. I actually thought it was Breyer, but it was actually Stevens who wrote this. He is the former associate justice at the United States Supreme Court, and he talks about District of Columbia versus Heller, where he talks about recognized an individual right to possess a firearm under the Constitution. And he says, here is why the case was wrongly decided. Now, this is huge. This is an ex-Supreme Court justice. And that's why it's important to get the right justices on the bench. He said, District of Columbia versus Heller, which recognized an individual right to possess a firearm under the Constitution, is unquestionably the most clearly incorrect decision that the Supreme Court announced during his tenure on the bench. Yes, he said this during the article that it was plain wrong. He says the text of the Second Amendment explains its purpose, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Don't know where he says it's wrong, but he says when it was adopted, the country was concerned that the power of Congress to disarm the state militias and create a national standing army posed an intolerable threat to the sovereignty of the several states. Well, the Civil War decided that, didn't we? Uh, you know, even that was an illegal war, but that's something, you know, a subject we can get on in another time. He goes on to say, throughout most of American history, there was no federal objection to laws regulating the civilian use of firearms. Of course, he's the federal, not the state level. He says when he joined the Supreme Court in 1975, both state and federal judges accepted the court's unanimous decision in the United States versus Miller as having established that the Second Amendment's protection of the right to bear arms 
was possessed only by members of the militia and applied only to weapons used by the militia. <laughs> Sorry about the phone. In that case, the court upheld the indictment of a man who possessed a short-barreled shotgun. I love short-barreled shotguns, but uh, that's something else. <laughs> anyway, right in, quote, In the absence of any evidence that the possession or use of a shotgun having a barrel of less than 18 inches in length has some reasonable. <laughs> you always see that they always say reasonable in their arguments. Relationship to the pre preservation or efficiency of a rel well rele relegated militia, we cannot say that the Second Amendment guarantees the right to keep and bear such an instrument. End quote. You know, the left is always trying to find a back door to the Second Amendment. Always. Now, he goes on to say colonial history contains many examples of firearm regulations in urban areas that imposed uh, obstacles to the protection of the home. Boston, Philadelphia, and New York, the three largest cities in America at the time, all imposed restrictions on the firing of guns in the city limits. You notice those were the left, and they still are the leftists, leaning in uh, areas there is in this country. Anyway, Boston enacted a law in 1746 prohibiting the discharge of any gun or pistol that was uh, later revived in 1778. Yeah, a law before this, uh, the American Revolution happened. Philadelphia prohibited firing a gun or setting off fireworks without a governor's special license, and New York banned the firing of guns for three days surrounding New Year's Day. You know, I why would he quote that one law and then revive it uh, uh, anyway? Those and other cities also regulated the storage of gunpowder. Oh, yeah, you blow it up. You had to struggle. Anyway, Boston's gunpowder law imposed a 10-pound fine on any person who took any loaded firearm into any dwelling house or barn within the town. Anyway, most if not all of the regulations would violate the Second Amendment as it was construed in the 5-4 decision that Justice Anton uh, Scalia, and boy, we missed Freaking Scalia, he was the best. Announced in Heller on June 26 of 2008. <laughs> this is his reasoning, people, and he keeps going on. Until Heller, the Second Amendment-based objections to firearms regulations had been uncontroversial. Uh, really? This fight has been going on for decades. Before that decision, the first two federal laws directly restricting the civil use of firearms possession, the 1927 Act prohibited mail delivery of handguns, mail delivery, and the 1934 Act prohibited the possession of sawed-off shotguns and machine guns. And he goes on and on and on in this argument. 
And it really makes no sense, the, the stuff he's trying to quote against the Second Amendment. Now, let me uh, peek over here on the Internet, and here's some actual quotes from the founders as their state uh, delegations were making their state constitutions. See, those who know history know that the federal government wasn't supposed to have as much power as it does. That's one of the reasons why the Civil War started, because states' rights. States, the biggest issue before the Constitution was ratified at the federal level was states' rights. So, here's what uh, George Mason of Virginia said back at the time. Quote, when the rebel, uh, resolution of enslaving America was formed in Great Britain, the British Parliament was advised by an artful man who was governor of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania, and this is one of the things that uh, this dude uh, quoted Stevens, to disarm the people, to disarm the people. Where's uh, Philadelphia at, by the way? That it is, it was the best and most effectual way to enslave them, but that they should not do it openly, but weaken them and let them sink gradually. I ask, who are the militia? They consist now of the whole people, except a few public officers. End quote. And that's the Virginia's U.S. Constitution Ratification uh, Convention in 1788. Now, he goes on, and this was later adopted by the Virginia Ratification Convention, that the people have a right to keep and bear arms, that a well-regulated militia composed of the body of the people, you, me, whoever, that's the body of the people, trained to arms is the proper, natural, and safe defense of a free state. Within Mason's Declaration of the Essential, and unalienable rights of the people. Now, here's Samuel Adams of Massachusetts. The said Constitution shall never be construed to authorize Congress to infringe the just liberty of the press or the rights of the conscience or to prevent the people of the United States who are peaceful citizens from keeping their own arms. Again, that from the U.S. Constitution Ratification Convention of 1788. Now, what doesn't he understand right here? He's quoting all these incidences going back throughout United States history, and he's claiming that the founders meant something else, where during the, uh, the Ratification Convention, this is actually what the founders said. The people of the United States who are peaceable citizens from keeping their own arms. The Congress can't do it. One more. Let's take one more. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia. And I'm actually getting this off the federalistpapers.org. Go there. It has a lot of information. If you haven't read the Federalist Papers, you need to. It gives an insight of what the founders' thinking was when everything was coming together with the Constitution. And that's really important because what the liberal left want to do is they think the Constitution is ongoing, it's evolving, when it's not. What was written back then and ratified is what the Constitution means. 
but it don't fit the way they think. So Richard Henry Lee, a militia when properly formed are in fact the people themselves and include all men capable of bearing arms. To preserve liberty, it is essential that the whole body of people always possess arms. They were encouraging people to have it. The mind that aims at a select militia must be influenced by a truly anti-Republican principle. Now, be you know, this is not talking about the party back then. And that, and it says uh, additional letters from the federal uh, farmer of 1788. You can go on and go on. You know, James Madison, the Constitution preserves the advantage of being armed with Americans possess over the people of almost every nation where the governments are afraid to trust the people with arms. This is really important. You got to get the context. You got to learn the history of this. Yes, the Second Amendment is it's being assaulted. You have uh, Democratic candidates right now saying they're going to uh, issue executive orders trying to take the guns away. Who is it? Camilla Harris, uh, Cory Booker, all that stuff. So you got to make sure that you keep up with your rights. And that's one of the new segments I want to do on the Madhouse. We have always already started it over on Insane Throttle Biker News. Your rights and how they're under assault and how you got to get involved in the fight. Yeah, we got motorcycle profiling going on. You know, we got uh, the Mongols thing that, uh, you know, they just got leveled a half a million freaking dollars uh, with their copyright and their First Amendment rights. Do you notice how it's going? So an interesting discussion is going to be about your rights. And, you know, one of the last segments during the show is we're going to be talking about that. And some other historical stuff like uh, coming next uh, Saturday's show, we're going to have a biker. Uh, his name is Judge. He's going to be coming on the show. We're going to be talking about the JFK assassination and, he, you know, how he felt when it happened all that stuff, but I think I'm going to be calling that segment Bikers in History, you know, when bikers were pre present for, you know, historical type of stuff that happened in this country. So it's going to be, you know, real interesting. What do you think about the assault on the Second Amendment, and what are you going to do to help prevent this? Help prevent uh, these people from going rogue on the Constitution. You know, let me know. All that good stuff. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel and also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle crack wide open.